Oh 
If I know anything tonight about what I have sensed and what I've experienced over the last 86 weeks, this will be our 87th week of revival. I know that when he is in a building and he is here tonight. I was in Cottonwood, Arizona. That's probably 30 people to 50 people in the building. My wife and I had traveled and there's this one family there whose son was seven months old was born with a hole in his heart about this big, I guess, I don't know, just a humongous hole just right there and they opened heart surgery at seven days old. I got pictures of the surgery or the open chest and, and um, it was our second time there because God's not attracted to crowds. He'll go anywhere where people are hungry. And Andrew was seven months old at this time when we came. This was four weeks, uh, four months ago. The mother gets into the water, knowing that her, her son is scheduled for another open heart surgery in a year. And when he was a year and a half old, he's seven months. And the first words out of her mouth are these, I repent. There her son is, right outside the pool, needing a miracle. But she got in the water and said, I repent. God turned toward her. God's looking for the turn. He would have passed the boat by unless they yelled from the boat. Someone goes, oh, there's Jesus. 
They turned. Moses would have walked by the bush and Jesus would have, God would have never said anything to him. But the Bible says when he turned, Moses, when he turned and saw the bush, it is then that God spoke. In that small baptismal pool, the mother turned and said, I repent. And she just began to name things in her life, not right with God. She gets baptized, the power of God comes upon her. Now, she didn't shake, she didn't rattle, she didn't have any physical manifestation, but God just met her in the water. They bring the baby, seven-month-old little Andrew, in the water. We baptize baby Andrew. He's screaming. He didn't want to be in the water. Six-inch scar on his chest. Getting baptized in his little diaper. We dunk him and get him out of the water. He goes back to the doctor the very next day for his three-month checkup. The doctor comes out of the room and says, I'm blown away. I said, you're not going to believe this. Because they had told her that the, the holes that size, they have hardly ever seen one close on its own. And at seven days, they tried to close it, and they said, we can't do it. It's too big. He comes out of the room and says, you're not going to believe this, but that hole in your son's chest and his heart is halfway closed and is closing. Halfway closed and is closing. So tonight, I think this is a great group. This is a great crowd. This is great. But if you were the only one here, that's all that matters. Because he sees you're here, that you're here. Amen. So little Andrew, they took him off all medications but one and canceled his open heart surgery at a year and a half. They said this heart will mend itself and well, you know how they're saying it, but the Lord is doing it. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Touch somebody tonight and say, you're about to be blessed. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So good to see so many of them. You can be seated in his presence tonight. Oh my goodness, I feel his presence. Wow. Who is here for the very first time that um, you were not here last time I was? I, w I came and spoke here. Right, raise your hand. Oh, most all of us. Good. Good. Uh, we're in our 87th week of the revival in Dawsonville, Georgia. Ah, come on now. That's, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. We baptized 10,400 people in the last uh, 86 weeks. This will be our 87th week. And uh, thousands more around the country and around the world have been baptized. I'll be leaving for Seoul, Korea next week for 11 days. We're going to be ministering at a Presbyterian church. Um, so you need to pray. I need a breakthrough there. Um, a pastor's conference, there'll be three or 400 pastors. We're going to baptize them by immersion. But the church that we're using only sprinkles. <laughs> and they don't want a baptismal pool. In there, and it's, I think it's a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church. That, and, and so the pastor wants to immerse, but the elders said, no, we're going to sprinkle. We're trying to figure out what that looks like. <laughs> you know, but he's not, it's not the water. Okay. We don't worship the water. 
When the Lord gave me the vision in the January of 2018 while I was walking across the platform in prayer in our time of fasting, um, after the first of the year, He showed me a baptismal tank, our baptismal pool. It was empty, but when I saw it, I saw it full of water and fire on top of the water like gasoline burns on top of water. And it lasted about 8 to 10 seconds, and God said, Todd, I'm going to baptize people with Holy Spirit fire. I'm going to baptize people with Holy Spirit fire. So I had no idea what that meant at that time, but now I do. I do, I do, I do. And, um, and so I don't know how I'm going to do this in Korea, but it's not the water, it's the point of contact. Amen. Praise God. Ah, I feel his presence. Let me get a couple uh, things out of the way. Um, I just came from um, Virginia, Stewart, Virginia. I don't know if you know where that is, about an hour and a half from here. I was with uh, Pastor David and Deborah uh, Coleman and had an incredible meeting two nights. Power of God fell. People were healed. People came back to Jesus, falling in love with him. And this is what this move of the Spirit is about. It's not about the healings, even though we're seeing a lot of the healings, but... We never prayed for healings. We never said, God, heal people. Because healings are great, but all healings are temporary, really. You think about it. You know, I mean, you may get your arthritis healed today, but, you know, someday you're going to die. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be negative, but we're all going to, all physical healings are temporary. It makes quality of life better. But what happens in the soul and the spirit of man or a woman is eternal. And just because we, we went after his face and after his heartbeat uh, in our time of fasting and praying, we're seeing a move of the Spirit that not only touches the heart, but also manifests in the physical body. And he will heal tonight. He will heal tonight. So um, I, I'm just anticipating getting in those waters tonight. But anyway, let me encourage you to grab this book tonight called Word Power. And um, it is a Bible promise book with uh, topical, um, with topics with scripture underneath it, like depression. Okay, then there's scriptures on how to come out of depression. There's scriptures on criticism, how to over, over, um, overcome criticism. But what I also did put in uh, some some pithy uh, quotes by them. And let me give you one for example on criticism. Um, the verse is one verse out of this whole book on criticism. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. In other words, not criticize. So that's good. But there's a Chinese proverb that says, do not remove a fly from your friend's forehead with a hatchet. So there's scriptures on healing, leadership, parenting, marriage. You grab this. Uh, um, I, the reason I told you about Virginia, they bought almost all of our resources out there. So only got like eight or ten of these left. And uh, they sold out of our 40 days book the other day. But this book right here called He Sent Him is my story as a Southern Baptist pastor, how I encountered the Holy Spirit and got baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in new tongues. Y'all know that's a, that's a mouthful right there for any, for any Baptist to say. So I released this in April, and it is just, people are eating it up. But I had lunch the other day because um, there's a message I did that is entitled uh, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Charles Stanley, who knows Charles Stanley at the First Baptist Atlanta, he watched that, that message on the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
His best friend goes to our church or comes to our revival. And he's Pentecostal, the best friend is. And he said, Charles, you need to watch this message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a Baptist pastor that got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Charles Stanley watches it. He told his friend, he says, it's the best message I've heard in 20 years. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. He was just being polite. So he says, I want to have lunch with Todd. So about two months ago, I'm sitting at Roasters in Buckhead, right outside of Atlanta. Charles Stanley, a mentor, hero, the best Bible teacher probably on the planet. I'm sitting next to him. He's 86 years old at that time. He just now turned 87. We're eating, and he pushes his plate in front of him. And he puts his chin almost three inches from the table with his hands like this and tears in his eyes. He looks at me. And he said, Todd, I do not want to die knowing that there's more of God to experience it and not experience it. He said, let's go to my house and pray. I'm sitting across Charles Stanley. I'm trying not to shake. And you know what I'm saying? You know, this is the guy that has sold more books than, than there's sand on the beaches. You know what I'm saying? This guy is 25 million people a day watch his programs around the world. And I got to lay my hands on Charles Stanley's forehead. And said, Charles, I want, to, I want you to pray and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, he didn't speak in tongues or anything like that. But just the fact that God is moving in the earth in such a way that a Southern Baptist Convention president, two terms, would be hungry for more of God. Come on, let's give God praise right there. Amen. Yes, I feel his presence. I want you to get this. I only have five of these out there, and I think I got three more in my suitcase in the room or something like that. Maybe five or six. I don't know. But I didn't bring those. I only brought five tonight. Grab this. If you know of anybody that's struggling with what you and I are experiencing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this book's for them because it unpacks it. It just deals, it deals with questions that Baptists and Methodists and Nazarene and some Pentecostals have. This is the book for you. All right? Amen? And then this one called He Sat Down. I'm going to preach on this. I've got about 20 copies of this left tonight uh, out there. So grab this one. He Sat Down. I want you to pull up something um, just preliminary. Pull up one of the slides, uh, one of the first ones that I, uh, right here. This book is being released on um, the 10th. What's today? Second, third, fourth? Okay, today's the third. So next week it's being released. It's called Speaking in Tongues. I'm on schedule. This is the second book I released this year. I have to be done by a, with a third book by the end of December, so you guys pray. But I wrote this book called Speaking in Tongues. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of us struggle? Now, honestly, we believe in tongues, but we kind of struggle with praying in tongues from time to time. Lift your hands. Or maybe we're not consistent with this. Only two of us. Okay, maybe I missed the mark. No, honestly, who, who, we know it's biblical, we know it's good, and we know it's right, but we don't pray in tongues like we ought to, right? Okay. Um, I found three, um, I found three um, studies that were done by universities about speaking in tongues. One of the studies was in England that said this, those that pray in, spirit, in the Spirit pray in tongues consistently over long periods of time have fewer mental disorders than those who do not. Touch your neighbor and say, you better start praying because you're crazy. Amen. 
Number two, those that pray in tongues consistently and over an extended period of times, when they pray in tongues, now listen to this, a study, out of, I think it was either out of ORU or the University of Pennsylvania uh, did a study that they, they boost their immune system 30 to 35% when they pray in tongues. And here's the reason why. They, when you pray in tongues, it affects a, pers- a particular area of your, of your brain called your hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus reduce, or, or releases certain chemicals in your body that are the same chemicals that will in- increase your, your immune system. Amen? Okay. All right. And so um, this book right here, the, uh, I begin the book about the New York Times and how they did, a, uh, or they were reporting on a study on the powerful impact of praying in the Spirit. It's about 101 to 102 pages. I want you to pre-order the book. It comes out the 10th, and then we'll ship it to you. And, um, and you can go to kingdomready.tv. You can order that, and, um, and we'll get that to you. It also will be available in digital, uh, but, but not tonight. It will be available on the 10th. Does that make sense right here? All right, so um, all right, here's what else I need you to do next. Pull up the next slide. Uh, the same website, kingdomready.tv. Uh, yeah, there, there you go. Um, I need you to go to this site and look at where the arrow is. There's a red button that says join the international prayer team. I need you to pray and be a part of this team. Every week you'll get an email of where we're going to be and where the North Georgia Revival team will be. Now there's two reasons why I need this. I was in Brunswick, Georgia. I may have told you this last time, but I was in Brunswick, Georgia about five or six months ago. And... We didn't have a prayer covering other than our church family praying for us. But we're at a completely different level right now with the revival. I get on the campus at Remnant Church in Brunswick, Georgia, and I'm on the campus no longer than 10 minutes, and I get a migraine headache. Very unusual. Not a headache, a migraine. And I had them in my past, but I had been literally been a long time since I had had those of this caliber. And when I get a migraine, I have to completely lock down, go into a dark room, take some medicine. In 30 to 40 minutes, I'll be okay. I come back out. This time, worship's already started. I get ready to preach. Right before I step up, another migraine hits me. Whew. Take another medicine, and, but I had to preach through it. Half, when you have a migraine, half your vision is gone. So I'm preaching, and I couldn't see half the audience. I go back to the church the next morning. I'm on campus 10 minutes, and another migraine hits me. I call Rabbi Kurt Landry out in uh, Fairland, Oklahoma. I said, Rabbi, something's going on. He said, Todd, I know what it is. It's witchcraft. He says, I can tell you where the lady was sitting. And he's in Oklahoma. He prayed. I go to lunch. And when I come back on the campus, I'm sitting in a car. And inside my brain, through the back of my head, it was like a needle going in and out. Eight times. It was pinching my my brain. I'm literally in the back seat. My head's going like this. And we went home. It carried through the weekend. And I went home on Monday or Tuesday. And I grabbed my wife's hand. And I said, baby, I repent. I repent. I repent. And... As soon as I repented of not being prepared, it lifted off of my body. 
I had more medicine on the cabinet, thinking I'm just going to weather through this. But as soon as I repented, everything lifted. The congestion, the headache, everything lifted off my body. It was at that moment that we said we have to get an inter international prayer team just to pray for us. Okay? So if you'll click on that button, go to Kingdom Ready, click on that button, boom, put your email, and then I will partner. It's, it'll come up and then hit submit at the bottom. We would appreciate that. Amen? Sid Roth called me on Monday. Monday. And uh, Sid Ross said, Todd, the show on Sunday night, show the, the broadcast, whatever it is, you know, that we're doing for three and a half hours, the revival. He said we had uh, a thread in the comment section of witches that identified themselves as witches and they were commenting back and forth on the thread. And he said there is a credible threat that there is a group of witches that are collaborating together to shut down the North Georgia revival. And Sid calls me every now and then but not like this it's always about something else so he said I just want you to know to get people to pray all right so please don't let this pass by uh, join with us if you will all right all good are you good stand back to your feet I want you to go to mark chapter 16 tonight mark chapter 16 I feel like I'm with family so pastor I want to take uh, my time here for the next about 40 minutes 30 to minutes uh, if you can hold those over there guys and I want to share something with you tonight. I want to teach you um, on the subject of he sat down. I'm going, to, I'm going to treat you like I'm at home, okay? I'm not going to rah-rah you. Jesus is in the water. He's going to touch every one of us in the water. Three things will happen tonight in the water. I already know. People will be delivered tonight from addictions, from problems, from struggles, all right? Number two... People are going to be healed tonight. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt. I was in Birmingham, Alabama at Beth Hallel, Rabbi Schneier, and, and Rebetzin Leslie Schneier. And a 10-year-old boy gets into the water born blind. The water was freezing, cold. And I'm thinking, Lord, I know you don't even like cold water, Lord. I don't, I don't blame you if you're not in the water. Amen? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? I'm joking. But he's 10 years old and he's completely dyslexic. Could only read on a kindergarten level if, it, if that's reading. You know what I'm saying? They're just identifying words but not reading. The doctors told her, the, the family, prepare yourself. His dyslexia is so severe he will never be able to read as an adult. Samuel Jacks gets into the water as a 10-year-old third grader who's never read a sentence in his life. Blind. His right eye is crooked. His pupil turns toward his nose. Wears glasses that literally covers up this eye and so he can see out of the left eye. He gets into the water in that cold, frigid water in Birmingham in a Jewish synagogue, Messianic Jewish synagogue. He gets in, that water comes up, and he's shaken. Well, I'm thinking he's freezing to death. I said, let's get him out. You know, I don't want to traumatize the kids. He gets up at the top of the steps, and they hand him his glasses. And the glasses were as thick as Coke bottle ends. And he puts them on, and he goes, these aren't working. And his right eye pops open and straightens. Thank you. 
in cold, frigid water. I was just there, um, what's today? Thursday? I was there last Friday night. And I said, that boy looks familiar. He's running around the whole sanctuary without any glasses on. He goes back to school and within 30 days went from kindergarten level reading to the second grade leading, reading level in just 30 days. Now he's between the third and fifth grade reading level where the doctor says he'll never read again. Now, I'm going to tell you something. God is meeting people in the water. I don't understand it. Uh, it's not a gimmick. It's just what he showed me that I'm going to touch people in the water. And I think it's this. I think the Lord is tired of sharing his glory with personalities and ministries. You see what I'm saying? And, and sometimes we hijack moves of the Lord and make it about a church or a movement or a ministry. And, and he's just coming for his bride. It is nameless and faceless. So when you get in the water tonight, I won't be baptizing you. I mean, I'll be standing around. I'll, for 30 minutes, I'll be over there. But you know what? It's, it has nothing to do with me. I just have to share his story. Do you hear what I'm saying? So there'll be healings tonight. Praise the Lord. And the third thing that's going to happen tonight is activation. That's why I'm here tonight and tomorrow night is for activation. Some of us that are marginal in our walk with God, you're going to get back on fire with God. Some of you that are lying dormant and stagnant, tonight's baptism is for you. I just happened to watch Bethel, Atlanta. Someone sent me a video. A young man was there, got baptized in the waters when we were in Washington, D.C. And he said this. He says, I got on fire for Jesus and literally I'm loving him more today than I did before my baptism. And that's what, that's what the baptism's about, is to prepare the bride for when Jesus is getting ready to come back. Can we get an amen right there? All right, now just remain standing. I want you to go to Mark 16. Are you there? Okay, I'm supposed to be there. All right, here we go. So I'm going to treat you like your family, all right? So we're going to have a kitchen table talk. That's all we're going to do. Here we go. Verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked them because of their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, now, now guys, I know I'm going to have you be seated in a moment, but then he said to them, now watch this. For 39 days, Jesus has met with his disciples. And in those 39 days, there's no, there's no record of any miracles after the resurrection. Not saying that there weren't, but we just don't have anything recorded. Now, I think walking through walls and ascending through ceilings is pretty miraculous, but I'm talking about eyes open, deaf hearing, and, and, and the lame walking. No mention. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus met with his disciples, giving them commandments. Now, not going over the, the, the thou shalt nots and what you, sh you know, that type of thing. But the commandments are, if you look at the original text, marching orders. So 40 days after his resurrection, for 40 days, he met with his disciples from time to time. And he says, all right, here, ladies and, men, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I need you to do. Do you hear me? For 40 days, he's prepping his, his bride, his body, to continue his work. 
So he met with them, giving them the commandments. Here's what I need you to do. Got it? Are you with me? Okay. So take a look at this text. So here it is. It's the 40th day. They have no idea that he's about to leave and never come back. They will never see him again in, their, in his flesh and bone body. They're assuming it's another Bible study. Okay? The world's about to change. Verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what's he doing? He's giving them their marching orders, right? I need you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, stay with me for just a moment. Have you ever known someone in your world, in your family, that they're dying, they're on their hospital bed, hospice been has called in, and then they gather the family around for the last goodbye? And if they're able to verbalize, what will the individual do? He will give them his or her wishes for the family. Right? He will say to the son, um, I need you to take care of your mother. He will say to his daughter, make sure you finish college and get your doctorate. You understand? Here's what I need you to do. I need you to love one another. Always love one another. Right? Are we good? So here's Jesus. He knows this is his last time with his disciples. But they do not. Here's what he says. I need you to go into all the world and do what? To every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow you, those who believe. He says, I, I, you're going to cast out demons and you're going to speak with new tongues. And then he says, you'll take up serpents and drink any deadly thing and by no means it will hurt you. And you're going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So he's saying to them, this is what you're going to do. So then, 19, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. And the Bible says what? And he sat down where? At the right hand of the Father. Now, you may be seated. <laughs> so Jesus gives them this assignment, and then he goes up to heaven, and he what? Everybody says, sits down. I read this, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Todd, read that again. Verse 19, I said, Lord, you went up into heaven, and, and you sat down. He said, read it again. I said, Lord, you went to heaven and you sat down. He said, Todd, what am I doing right now? Well, Lord, according to this text, you're sitting. Yeah. So do you guys realize that Jesus at this very moment is still sitting? Five times in the New Testament, it references Jesus sitting down. Five times. Okay. Five times. I find that significant. I owned 10 acres of grass. Stay with me back there, if you will, on those, please. Okay. Um, I owned 10 acres of, of grass, if you will, and uh, or 10 acres, and I had to cut four acres of grass. Let me tell you what I would do. I had this incredible lawnmower that would go about eight miles an hour. It said zero turn X mark, and I would whip, and I would literally 
scream through cutting grass. I love cutting grass going eight miles an hour. I'm telling you, I felt like Fabio out there. You know, I couldn't afford a, you know, a convertible. I just felt like I was out there living the dream. Here's what would happen. I'd cut the grass. Now, stay with me. I would cut the grass, and then I would come inside, and I would do what? Sit down. But the yard was not complete and finished. My two other boys, strapping young men, had specific responsibilities like weeding, edging, picking up the debris, pushing the lawnmower in the backyard because I couldn't get my zero turn. And they had like a couple of hours worth of work to do. And they would do it. But if they didn't do it, the job wasn't done. I finished my part, but their part they still had to complete. And the yard, the grass part looked good, but you know, guys, if you don't edge and you don't weed eat, it doesn't look right. So I would come in and sit down and drink me some sweet tea and wait on my boys to finish the job. And I know that's a, a wild example, but guys, it's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says in John chapter 17, verse 4, you can, you can reference this if you want to. It says, I have glorified you on the earth and I have finished, now listen to what he says, I have finished the work you have, what? Given me to do. Now that's what Jesus says, I have finished the work that you've given me to do. There was a specific assignment that God gave Jesus, here's what I want you to do with your human life. Got it? And so Jesus is coming to the end of his life. He's about to be crucified. And he looks to his father and he says, I've finished the work that you've given me to do. I want you guys to understand something very clear tonight. Tonight's baptism is a baptism of activation. Because I think that Jesus is still sitting down today. And Jesus is so sitting down today that he's never going to do what he has left you and I to do. Now this is problematic for the church because the church has embraced the mindset that Jesus is going to do everything for us. But if you are a student of the New Testament and you completely understand the heart of the Father, Jesus had a lifespan of 33 and a half years. He lived in his flesh and bone body. He had a particular assignment. Watch this. He was to die for our sins and sacrifice on the cross once and for all for the propitiation for our sins. But his second responsibility was to get the church ready to continue on his work. Therefore, Matthew 28, Mark chapter 16, he says to them, here's what I need you to do because I'm going home and I'm going to sit down and sip on some sweet tea. Because my work is done. Do you have it? So there's this dichotomy that I got to talk to you about tonight. And again, we're going to sit around the kitchen table and I'm going to challenge your, I'm going to challenge you to the point where you're going to get mad at me. You're going to get so frustrated with me in a few moments that, that, and I know it's coming and I will feel it when it happens because I'm going to burst some theological presuppositions. Because we have been taught wrong in the church. Because we are intellectually lazy for the most part, not y'all, not y'all, y'all are very sophisticated in North Carolina, but most of the people in my world are, are, are religiously lazy. Alright, here's the dichotomy. It's a universal struggle. 
It is a struggle, and I'm going to read this to you because I find uh, that, that, that it's important that I say it exactly as I wrote it. A struggle that has you and I completely dependent and relying on God for our very existence. That's true. I can't breathe without Him, right? I, I, I rely upon Him for my sustenance, for my everything. I am completely dependent on God. On the other side, and what makes this so interesting and compelling is that God, now here's the problem, at the same time is ultimately dependent upon me. Well, that's the first time I've ever heard that. But let me say this is how God chose to set it up. It's completely His desire. You'll not hear me minimize the greatness and the power and the majesty and the splendor and the authority of God. But God so chose to set up planet Earth this way. If you agree with this statement, say amen. God is God. He is all-powerful. All-knowing. He is everywhere. All at the same time. So you're hearing me having a very strong biblical context of God, right? Mm -hmm. If you agree with the statement, say amen. He has the capacity to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. I believe that here. No force on earth or below the earth can match him. His strength cannot be duplicated. His fierce power no man can contain. The forces of nature obey his every command. Oh, you're going to like this one. The demons of hell tremble at the mere mention of his name. Come on, I'd get a better shout from Baptist right there, all right? The mountains melt like wax in his presence. Angels bow before him. Sickness has to leave before him. And death shrivels before him. Now, with me saying all of that, now listen to the next three words. God needs me. Sometimes I, I, I agitate so so I agitate people to the point that they won't hear the rest of this message. When I say God needs me, He needs me, not for His existence, okay, but He needs me. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple of illustrations. Then I'm gonna ask you one question. I'm going to divert here, and I'm going to, I'm going to go down a country road. Now, remember at the kitchen table, I'm going to go down a country road, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to hopefully prick something in your head. Every 50 minutes, Pastor, every 50 minutes, someone in America dies because of a drunk driver. So by the time we get done tonight, let's just say we're here for two hours, there will be two people, minimally, in our country that dies because of a drunk driver. And not all people that die in a drunk driving accident are bad people. Some are God-fearing people. Some are tongue talkers. Some have been pastors. Some have been future missionaries. Would you agree? Some have been teenagers on their way home from band recital or band practice and they're going home and, and someone veers into their traffic lane and wipes them out. Good people and bad people. With me? 
every 40 seconds in our world because a million people a day, a, a year commit suicide around the globe. 3,000 people a day around the world take their own lives. That's one every 40 seconds. Some are bad, evil people. Some are good people. I don't know if you read the other day, but a megachurch pastor in his early 30s, mid-30s, took his own life. Who had helped thousands and thousands of people. He, most of his life dealt with depression. So he takes his own life. So I'm not going to give you a cookie cutter kitchen table talk tonight that tells us how great the world is and how great Christianity is. I'm going to come after your heart and I'm coming after your mind tonight. You hear what I'm saying? Do you also realize that there are 4.9 million people in the human trafficking industry and a lot of them are children that are getting violated by greasy people? both men and women, for their sexual fantasies. Some are eight years old, nine years old, twelve years old. Children. Some women are trapped and they can't get out. Now, y'all know these are realities, right? I mean, I know we're in a bubble in church and in Christianity. We sometimes, not y'all, but some people will, I just, if I don't think about it, it's not happening. Hear me? Last night, within the last 24 hours, you can, you can Google it if you want to. In the last 24 hours, 18 to 20,000 children died in the world due to malnutrition. And tonight, between now and tomorrow night's meeting, another 18 to 20,000 children will die. I don't know if you've seen the National Geographic, or, uh, Geographic pictures and, and, and magazines that cover this atrocity. Many of the babies have their bo bellies bloated. And you get to a point, especially like when you're fasting 20 days beyond, you don't, you're not even hungry anymore. You know what I'm saying? Your body has adjusted. It's, it's in self-preservation mode. So there's, uh, they're not suffering because of hunger pains because their hunger has left them. And, you know, there's, there's just no hope. And their body is just responding to that. So they, it's not a hunger pain, but their body's responding and their bellies get bloated. You, you understand what I'm saying? And, and they just wander out of the village and they just die. And the image is of this baby out in a field with buzzards eating him. A four-year-old. I'm going to ask you a question. Because nobody will deal with this in church, but I am. Where is God in all of that? Have you ever thought about that, but not really? I mean, you know, we don't, we don't like to talk about it because it, it may cause people to get uncomfortable. But I want to ask you a question. Where is God? What, what, what's God doing? I'm going to ask you this. What is God doing about this? Because I know all of us in this room, not for one moment, we all believe that God in one moment in time, in one moment in time, if he wanted to, could cause manna to fall from the sky and feed all the children. If he wanted to, could cause the drunk driver to veer to the other side rather than in the line of the oncoming traffic. True? Kitchen table talk, okay? I know you're thinking, I came just to get baptized. You're warping my mind. But 
I'm not causing you to doubt him. You're going to love him more than you've ever loved him after our conversation. But we've got to be real. Because these atrocities are happening every day. And the church doesn't understand it. The revival came to Dawsonville, Georgia. And I believe this message in the book I wrote, He Sat Down, prepared our congregation to be able to host him. And everything that I'm telling you, I told our people four and a half to five years ago. So I'm going to ask you again, why did it happen? Where was God? And what is God doing about it? Have you ever thought those things? Talk to me. I was in Spring, Texas on the way years and years ago to sing with our youth group. And the month before we got there, the pastor and his wife of this exploding church were killed in a traffic accident. Where was God? Where were the angels? Our protection angels. Where's the, where's, where is the guardian angels over the four-year-old? Do you hear what I'm saying? Where's the guardian angel over the pastor that took his own life? I think there are four lines of bad belief in the church. I'm going to deal with these, and I'm going, then we're going to get activated. I'm helping you. you know your thing, I know you're thinking, dear Lord, you put the scaffolding to my heart right now. You're killing me. I'm going to help you. Touch somebody and say, we're going, he's going to help us. But I've got to deal with this. Here are four lines of bad belief. I want you to pull that first one up, if you will. Pull the first line of, of bad belief up, if you will. This is what we have adopted in the church. This is what we believe, not you guys, but generally in the church. Generally the church believes this. No matter what we do or don't do, God's will on the earth will be done. That's what we believe. Why do we believe this? Because God is God. Okay? And God is God, and, and whatever He wants to have happen on the earth will be done regardless of what anybody says or anybody does. Do you know and I know that there are a lot of things that if we don't do, God's will won't be done on the earth? And there are a lot of things that we do do that are not God's will on the earth? But we, because we, we don't want to deal with these things intellectually and rationalize these things and think through the scriptures, we take the talking points of the church and we just say, well, the... the Whatever God wants to have done will be done. Because the church has talking points just like the Republicans and the Democrats, right? Have you ever seen like a crisis? You see it all the time in, in, in the talk shows. All of them are saying the same thing. Why? Because they get a memo or an email and say, here's how we're going to deal with this crisis. Boom, boom, boom. Here's what you say. The Democrats have it and the Republicans have it. It's, like, it's just like a, a jack-in-the-box. You flip it and boom, they're just going to come out and pop up and say whatever they've been told to say. Second line of bad belief is this. Well, the next one up. If God wills it, then it will come to pass. Have we not heard that? If God wills something, then it's going to come to pass. There's nothing that can stop it, all right? If God wills it, it's going to come to pass. 
I just want you to I just want you to work with me tonight and read your Bible because there's a lot of things that God wills that have not come to pass. God doesn't want anybody to perish. That's God's will, right? But people die and go to hell every day. And so this allows us to have a passivity and a laziness in our activity and our approach with God. If God wills it, then there's nothing that can stop it. If God wills it, then it will come to pass. Well, let me, let me help you here. See, some people will believe, well, I'm supposed to marry her. And since it's God's will, I already know it's God's will, it's going to come to pass. Now, let me tell you something. Let me, let me teach you. You let someone else with a little bit more money than you, that's a little bit more aggressive than you, start to date her. Yeah. And you're waiting on some type of magical moment. She's going to run off with that cat. And you think, well, I thought it was God's will. Number three. Number three. This is an important one, too. I want you to grab this. If God wants it to happen, there is nothing that can stop it. And number four, and this is probably the most damning one in all of them. God is in control of everything. I've been brought up my entire life hearing this from the pulpit. God's in control. Going through a crisis, God's in control. My marriage is falling apart, God's in control. My kids on drugs, God's in control. It brings us a level of peace and comfort, but I'm here to tell you that biblically, I'm going to prove to you that God is not in control. Does He have the capacity to control everything? God is in control. When we say this, we want to just say, well, I throw my hands up, God, you handle it. If I can prove to you in just one area that God is not in control, then he's not in control. I just need one area. Would you give me that? Now, let me tell you a word that the church uses that has done more damage to the body of Christ than any other word in the, in, in, in the church. It's the word sovereignty. How many of us have said God is sovereign? Raise your hand. Do you realize that that word is not even in the Hebrew text? Second of all, do you realize that the King James Version and the New King James Version never translated and used the word sovereignty? If you go to your dictionary, the way sovereign is used, it literally means a self-ruler, a sovereign nation. The church has, has adopted it to mean that God controls all things. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not wrong to use the word sovereign in the, sen in the fact that God is self-ruler. You know what I'm saying? He governs his kingdom. But it doesn't mean that God controls all things. Let me tell you where it came from. I'm going to just help you here. In the 1500s, there was a man by the name of John Calvin who believed in predestination. 
Predestination literally means that you have no choice on getting saved. You were predestined to be saved, so no matter what happens, you're going to be saved. No matter what happens, you're going to go to hell. There's nothing you can do about it because God is sovereign and He chooses all things. There is a professor at Wheaton College who teaches on the sovereignty of God and says this. He says, even the, even the deaths of the six million Jews under Hitler was God's divine plan. Because he's sovereign. That all bad, all good have been initiated by God because God is in control of all things. Now you see in the church how we've adopted the word sovereign to say God's in control of everything. Do you understand what I'm saying? Then the NIV version of the Bible, New International Version, which was put, compiled in the 1970s and 80s, I believe it was, uses the word sovereign 272 times in the Old Testament. And the NIV version was put together by Calvinists who had an agenda to convince you of the predestination of God, that He controls all things. And they took the word Lord God and Lord Almighty and put Lord Sovereign. Now that's heavy. You can Google this and research it. So the church has adopted the mindset God's in control and sovereign over everything. Here's an example. I don't believe God is in control of all things. She's 16, she's pregnant. She can't tell her mom and dad that she's pregnant. So she gets with her boyfriend and says, we've got to do something about this. So they go to a clinic and they have an abortion. Not one of us in this room would agree that God's in control of that. Do you hear what I'm saying? Tell that to the mother that walks out on her back porch that God's in control of everything, that He is sovereign, that nothing happens unless He wills it and wants it to happen and permits it and, and watch this, ordains it. She walks out on her back porch and sees her 14-year-old son dangling from a tree. And because she has heard the church people say God's in control of everything, instead of her heart turning toward Him for help, she raises her fist in anger. Am I telling the truth? Okay. Because we don't know how to deal with issues like this and, and have conversations like this, we come up with cheap talking points. God's in control. Just trusting. Well, when He's in control, then why did my three-year-old girl fall from the playground and break her neck and now she's a paraplegic the rest of her life? See, atheists eat us alive and agnostics eat, agnostics eat us alive with this because we have said God's in control, God's love, He's in control of everything. And they look at us and say, well, then if He's in control, why don't He do something about these 18,000 babies that are dying every day? And they look at and say, how can your God, you say He's in control of everything, not do something about that? Talk to me. You understand what I'm saying? So we have to reframe and understand what the Bible says here. 
I'm messing with you. I know I am. And you're thinking, dear God, just get me in the water. I said, I came to be baptized. I didn't come to get messed up. But you're going to be made right here in a moment. Because it has everything to do with Mark chapter 16. All right, now this is where I fix it. Are you ready? Genesis 1. I want you to pull the scripture up. Give him just a moment. Genesis 1. If you understand Genesis 1, John 1, Acts 1, Revelation 1. Four scriptures. Four chapters. If you understand Genesis 1, John 1, Acts 1, Revelation 1, you'll have the whole worldview that God had in plan for the world. Here's what God said in the beginning. Then God said, let us make man in what? Our image according to our what? Let them have dominion. Now who's to have dominion? Mankind is to have dominion. Now, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and the cattle, and over all of the creeping thing and the creeps on the earth. Touch one name and say you got a dominion over the creeps. All right? Okay. Now, this word dominion is significant. Okay, guys? This is significant. That means man is to dominate. All right? Man and woman is to dominate. Pull up the next verse. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Now, let me, let me just stop right here and say this. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now, that is a command for men and, man and woman to have babies. He says, I want you to subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm, just, I'm able to have a license to kill the, king, the animal kingdom, which it gives me that. But what he's saying is, as high as a bird can fly, and as deep as a fish can swim, this blue sphere, you dominate it. Mankind. And he says, fill the earth. Fill the earth. So he, says, he said, what does he say? He said, multiply. Now I'm going to help you here, but hurt you first. Some people that are born... Most all of us came, well, all of us came because our mom and father got together. Probably not after your mother and father spoke in tongues in private prayer meeting for an hour before they had relationships. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all right, we didn't leave a prayer meeting and said, you know, I just feel the Lord lead me. We're supposed to procreate tonight and have a baby. <laughs> Births happen randomly. And not everybody that's born is born with a star over their deal. They're just born because mom and dad are doing what they've been commanded to do. And not everybody that is born was a plan of God. Ishmael. Do you hear what I'm saying? That was never God's plan. But because they had dominion and the right... Because God's plan was Abraham with Isaac. But because he got in a hurry... He had a relationship with a handmaid and had a baby that wasn't God's will. Bathsheba. 
Never in God's plan. Now, does that mean that it delegitimizes the birth? Does that mean it's not important that person has that? No, 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 no. Literally, all of us in this room, I don't know, maybe a handful of you were God's plan. I mean, like, at this moment on October the 20th, 1964, I've got Todd's going to be born right here. And my mom and dad didn't know God. Some of us are a result of hot passion in the backseat of a car. Am I telling the truth? Now, I, I'm just going where nobody's gone before. I'm going Star Trek on you, okay? I, I'm, I'm saying that. Now, that does not mean that we all don't have purpose and, and meaning because as soon as the egg and the sperm get together, concession takes place, then we become fearfully and wonderfully made and God sends forth all of His energy and power to protect that baby, amen? And to say, I've got purpose for this child. Even someone that has... Now, date rape... It's not God's plan, okay? She's 16 years of age. She goes to a party. Somebody gives her a date drug. Do you hear what I'm saying? And she gets raped and she gets pregnant. But it's not that child's fault. All of heaven comes, fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm sanctioning this birth. You know what I'm saying? I'm sanctioning this. Even though it, Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm helping you understand that procreation is what we do. And you have the right to have as many kids as you want to have. How many did you have? None? How many kids do you have? None? Anybody else? You had two? Three? I had two and said, I'm done. I didn't even pray about it. God made one of me to have seven or eight more. I said, no, Lord, we're done. We are done. Two is enough. Amen? If you really... Believe God was in control of your family and procreation, you wouldn't be taking birth control. Because you have decided two's enough. You have stopped, uh, stopped filling the earth. Now, why am I saying I'm, I'm coming full circle here? Trust, trust me. I get to choose how many babies I want to have. I'm not elevating man, and I'm not devaluing God. I'm just telling you how he put the earth together. Pull the next verse up. Blow your mind. Psalm 86 tells us about man. You have made him to have what? Dominion over the works of your hands and put what? What does all mean? He put all things under his feet. Oh, you're going to love this next one. Psalm 115, 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth, He has given to the children of men. So how can Stalin kill 12 million of his own people and God not intervene? How can 60 million babies be aborted and God not intervene? How can 18,000 children die a day and God not intervene and do something? It is in His nature to do something. It is His heart to do something. He doesn't want these things to happen. How can a 12-year-old be having violation by the uncle who slips into her room and violates her and rapes her? God not intervene. 
He has given the earth to the children of men. How can a family of four that love God with all their heart be wiped out in a drunk driving accident? He's given the earth to the children of men. Both Satan and God know, they both know the covenant that has been entered into. Now listen to me. That all that God does, 99.2% on the earth, he now does by influencing his children. This is God's kingdom. This is Satan's kingdom. I know you're not Satan's child, but listen to me. All that Satan does on the earth, he does by influencing people. So you have a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. Now, these people are not demon-possessed, but the Bible says you love darkness more than you love light. And you are influenced and swayed by the God of this world. The Bible calls, in James 4, Satan the God of this world. So how are these bad things allowed to happen? It's because these people right here for most of the most of the time are waiting on God to do everything. These people over here just do what sinners do. I'm at a hotel. I haven't seen my wife in three three weeks. I just closed the biggest deal I've ever closed before. Let's just say it's a six figure bonus that I'm gonna get. I'm at the bar celebrating. I'm not drinking, I'm just having some sweet tea. She comes and sits right beside me. Conversation strikes up. Got a lot in common. Moment of weakness. They share a room. He's got two children and a wife that he's been married to 15 years back home. But in a moment of weakness, he says yes. His wife finds out about it, and they get a divorce, and the family's ripped apart. God's not in control of everything. I choose how I live my life. My choices have consequences, both good and bad. So here's what God's looking for. Now stay with me. God is looking for to influence people. Via His Holy Spirit. My sheep hear my voice. You hear what I'm saying? And when I don't obey His voice, I'm left stewarding my own life. Texting and driving. My mom's told me a thousand times, don't text and drive, don't text and drive, don't text and drive, don't text and drive. Bing. I look at my phone. The Spirit of God says, don't text and drive. Don't text and drive. Don't text and drive. I hear my voice in my head. Don't text and drive. The Spirit of the Lord is saying, put it down, put it down, put it down, put it down, put it down. I look at it. Next thing I know, I'm veering off the road and I hit a tree. Well, God's in control of everything. No, 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 no. I made that choice. Outside the will of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? And now I suffer that. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right. Well, where was God? My sheep hear my voice. 
The children and the son, the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, don't, 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 don't. Cut the conversation off with her. Don't have that conversation with that girl. Spirit of God's pulling you. Go to your room. Go to your room. But you gave in to your flesh. You understand? And now there's a relationship that has started. Where, where was God telling you not to do that? So how does God do this? How does God work? He works influencing the children of God. Do you hear what I'm saying tonight? So we're not going to blame him anymore for the catastrophes that are happening. The 18,000 children that die every day, if we just, the church, got together and took responsibility for that, could solve that problem just like that. But no, I got an $1,100 cell phone. I got a 60-inch big screen. I got a $45,000 self-parking car. I've got $20,000 of computer equipment in my bag, sitting in our homes, iPads, Macs. You understand what I'm saying? Not anything wrong with that, but guys, there's enough money in this room and in other churches to take care of the starving children. And so while we're waiting and saying, God, you're in control of everything, so this must be your will, all these children dying, and I'm just sitting here doing what you blessed me with and enjoying all these spoils. God, I'm just sitting here and, and you're getting all the bad rap. And so God is left picking up the pieces. So you have an affair. God's told you no. But the wife raises her fist and said, God, I prayed that you'd protect my husband. And he said, I tried to protect him. I tried to tell him. I was whispering to his heart. I, I even tried to distract him. I made him go to the bathroom and, and all these type of things. And I'm trying to get his attention. But, but he, he chooses what he wants to do or what not to do. To submit himself to my lordship or not submit himself to the lordship. And he chose to do this on his own. And so now he's trying to pick the pieces back together. The 14-year-old that hangs himself on the back porch, off the back porch, he's going to the mother, I'm here for you, I'll never leave you or forsake you, I'm going to comfort you. Well, you told me you're in control. That's what the church told me. Uh, but he, ch I, I tried, I tried to get him, I tried him not to commit suicide. In fact, I, I came here, and, and, and what's your name? Rhonda. Rhonda? And, and Rhonda, Rhonda is his friend. And I told Rhonda, 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 call him. Call Tommy. Call Tommy, Rhonda. He needs me. He needs you. Would you go talk? No, but here's what's happening with Rhonda. Rhonda is pulling out her phone and she's going through Facebook. Then she gets tired of Facebook. Then now she's going to play a couple games. And the Spirit of God is ringing your heart and saying, Call him. Call him. I'm speaking to him, but he needs a friend. But because we're too busy and we don't hear the voice of God, watch this, now he's going out, rope, putting a rope around his throat, and he's dying. And all the while, God is trying to get his children, who he's left in charge of the planet, to do his will. Does that make sense to anyone? This is hard. I know it is. But guys, I didn't come here just to baptize. I came here to make a deposit. Because what God is doing in Moravian Falls and North Wicksboro and, and, and Wicksboro is, is, is he's doing something deep 
And he's doing something significant. But it's going to require you to get up and no longer sit. So here's what God's needing. It's so simple. Everything I'm saying is in the book he sat down. Here's what God needs. You know what he needs? A body. It's that simple. All he needs. Just a body. Why? Because his body's in heaven. Sitting down. Right? He's just sitting down. God needs a body. That's why Romans chapter 12 says this. I beg you. Listen to the Paul. I beg you. By the mercies of God. That you present your. Your body. As what? Holy. Acceptable unto God. Which is our reasonable service. Why? Because he knows if he has your body. And he fills it with himself. That we can go be him to others. That's why he says. It's needful that I go away. Because I'm one body. I'm one man. It's needful. But when I go. I will send my spirit. In other words. The spirit of Jesus. Jesus comes to live on the inside of you. He says it's needful. That I go away. I'll send my spirit. To empower you. To be my witnesses. And the works I do. You shall do. Just need your body. Well I got a career. I just need your body. Romans 6 says it this way. Present your body. As an instrument of righteousness. Romans 6.14 says, present your body as a slave unto the Lord. He just needs my body. Why? Because he's sitting down. And what he does upon the earth, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28, the Bible says we are now his body on the earth. We are his body. So if the body sits, we're hurt, we're upset with church, we're mad at God because we thought he was in control, And we sit. So how are we doing? I'm going to bring it up this way. Pull these statistics up. First one. I'll close with this. Five minutes, I'm done. First statistic. There are 7.4 billion. There you go. 7.4 billion people on the earth. Y'all know that, right? If you don't, Google it. 7.4 billion. Next slide. 31% of the people on the planet are what we would call born again. Now all these statistics are in the book. 31% of the people are saved. That's 2.3 billion out of 7.4 billion. So let's assume, pull up the next one. 55 million people on the planet die every year. According to the United Nations, that over a million people a week. Let's assume, pull up the next one, that 31% of those who died last year were Christians. That means that 17 million people went to heaven last year. 
That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's amazing. Next slide. There are 5.1 billion unsaved people on the earth. That means 69% of the planet is unsaved. So let's assume that last year 69% of all people that died were unsaved. Pull that next slide up. That 38 million people went to hell. Unprepared to meet God. But God's in control. Right? It's not His will, but it's happening every day. Next slide. 42.2% of the world live in what we call an unreached people group. That means that less than 1% of their nation knows God. In other words, they can be born, be raised, get married, have a family, a career, and not one time in their entire life hear the gospel. We're talking nearly half the planet lives in an unreached people group. Next slide. 3.2 billion people on the planet lived in an unreached area. So let's assume 42.2% of those that died last year, pull up the next one, 23 million people died and went to hell last year who never heard the gospel. What's God doing about this? I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, literally, what, what, what's he doing about this? This is, a, this is an atrocity right here. Now, 18,000 children dying every day, that's bad. But 23 million people last year, watch this, last year went to hell who not even one time had a gospel presentation in front of them or watched it on television or whatever. They never heard. There's not one of us in this room say that, that God, that's God's will. Why don't he do something about it? I'm going to tell you why he's not doing something about it. Because he's sitting down. He says, I have finished my work. And he's going to do absolutely nothing about it this next year either. Why? Because he's told us, go into all the world. I'm leaving. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. But before you go, go to the upper room and I will breathe on you and give you power to be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the other parts of the earth. Pull the next slide up. 151,000 people die every 20 hours. Move quickly on this next one. 31% of them are Christians. That means every day 47,000 people go to heaven. Next. 104,000 people die every day that go to hell. Next. Go to the next one. 64,000 people die every day who have not heard a clear presentation of the gospel. That's an atrocity. But what are we going to do about it? He sat down. We will, be, we will be held accountable, and I'll talk about it tomorrow night. We'll be held accountable when we stand before the living judge on how we handled what he's left for us to do.
Some of us can't help others because we're having to help ourselves for the 10th and 12th and 15th time. You keep coming to the altar to get your breakthrough. Tonight, you're going to get your breakthrough. But for the love of God, keep it. So that you can be of an aid and assistance to the work of God on the planet. Does that help anybody? I know it's harmful. I know it's hurtful. But we got the church, the church has got to stand up tonight. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. May God find Moravian Falls, this area of North Carolina. May this portion of the bride of Christ stand up and say, here's my body. I'll do whatever you ask. I will say whatever you want me to say and I'll go wherever you want me to go. He is not coming to rescue us. But when we stand up and say, here am I, send me. Here am I, use me. Here am I, my body. God will come into an, a, a church or a community and he will manifest his kingdom. I am a carrier of the kingdom. The authority, the healing, the power, the strength. And when I stand up and say, God, here I am I. I'll do whatever you ask. Here's my body. Wherever you want me to go, whomever you want me to witness, whatever you want me to give, whatever you want me to do, it is yours. When God sees a man or woman that says, here I am, the kingdom of God is with you, and everywhere you go, you take the kingdom. Does that, does that make sense to everyone? Stand to your feet all across the room. Lift your hands. Father, in this room, I know, I know that you're moving. Your spirit is moving. Father, I pray that you would activate your church tonight. That our heartbeat would be after yours. That we wouldn't live our lives for ourselves for our benefit, but for you. you know, as your hands are down, I'm going to give a three-minute altar call, and I'm going to ask those of you that are willing and desirous to yield your body to Him and say, Jesus, I will stand up. I will stand up. I will be your ambassador, your represent, your witness. I want you to come to the front and we're going to repent collectively as a group and as individuals. If that is you, come right now. Three minutes is all we're going to spend at this altar. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to coerce you.
come. Find a place. This message prepared our congregation to be able to host him. Why? Because he looked to us. God will never do what he's asked me to do. And we said, God, we will do it, whatever you ask. So, Lord, tonight we collectively as a group repent for sitting down. We repent. You left us a job to do, the edging and the weeding. Lord, half the world doesn't even know you came. We repent. We repent. Oh, God. We need you. Fill these bodies with your spirit. Not for our survival, not to get us through another week, not to get us free again, but empower us. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is for power to be a witness. Oh, dear God, help us. Activate your church. Set our tongues afire. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's all stand. I just felt the Lord speak to me a minute ago, and, and I'm going to close my eyes when I say this, because I think it, too many people in, in the church world, we, we have been hurt by church, okay? We've been disappointed. So we've withdrawn from church. Or we just attend and not serve. God is saying to us, now's the time to get back. To present yourself for, for, for duty. You know what I'm saying? To, to say, I'm here. Get over, I know it's significant. But, but you've got to move beyond the hurt. There's a work to be done. Okay. So tonight, 
is getting back involved. Well, I stopped giving because I, I didn't. I don't trust the people. That you got to continue to give. Amen. Okay. All right. Coca Cola has been around for 140 years. They literally have a Coke product within walking distance of every human on the planet. They have 135,000 employees. In less than a 200 years, 150 years, they've covered the planet. We've had the gospel for 2,000 years. 2.1 billion of us. And half the world doesn't even know. Instead of going to the beach again for the twelfth time and eating crazy food and take your family to Indonesia. Come to, with me to China and I'll introduce you to a village that has never even heard the name of Jesus before. Let me walk with you into a hut, into a village where they never held the Bible. Well, I don't want my kids to be warped. No, they're warped already. Let them taste the real world. Let me take you to Ethiopia where they see a baby that has days to live. Maybe they won't gripe because they want the iPhone 11. They may come to you and say, Mom, instead of doing that on my birthday, would you give mom that money too? You hear what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not. I'm just telling you. This is what God, this is the message that God has given me to tell the church. Let's do it. You've got some of the most incredible pastors on the planet right here. And there's other pastors here, other churches. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's touch our neighbor. When God says call someone, invite them, love them, give them something, help them. Because here's what I know. There are single moms saying, God, I don't even know if you're real. And they're close to being atheists. But God, I give you one last chance to prove to me. God, show me that you're real. She's got a $99 daycare bill. And it's your neighbor, and God says just out of the blue, give her $100. Well, Lord, my cable bills don't do. But you don't understand. I can't give her the money. Because I'm there. And the only checking account I have is yours. I've never seen a check with God's name on it. So he says, I need your body. I need that money. Would you give her that $100? And you walk up to her and you say, you know, I don't know why, but I just feel like I need to give you this. She begins to cry. She won't tell you the whole story. She goes into her bedroom and says, God, you're real. See how this works? All he needs is a body. 
And every day he's talking to you. Every day. See how that works? It's not complicated. This is Christianity 101. Go to the upper room and I'll fill you with myself. And you go witness for me.